the humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh the Humanities and Social Sciences, the hashtag hashtag podcast. I'm Marco Cimino, and in this episode, I'm joined by Daisy Turnbull Brown, who is going to be talking about using current events to teach has subjects. Daisy, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, look, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm always um, always love sharing uh, frontline teachers' stories on this podcast, as I try to do with every episode. Um, so. Could you care to tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your role in education and your role in HAPS? Yeah, so um, I am the Director of Positive Psychology at St Catherine's School in Sydney, uh, but teaching's actually a second career for me. I used to work in advertising. So I, um, I studied arts commerce at Sydney Uni and then I worked in advertising for a few years and web design. Um, and so... That's actually in itself been kind of useful for commerce with, you know, the, the the commerce stalls they have and the starting running the business sections. But um, but then I, I trained as a teacher and when I was starting my teaching course, it it was clear that the subjects for me were going to be what my majors had been. So commerce and business studies and history. And uh, I discovered that my major in gender studies didn't really have a spot in the uh, in the syllabus. And then I later did a Master's of Theology and so I'm now teaching Studies of Religion as well. Great. Um, look, and you did mention um, the, the positive psychology there. Before we, before we have a look at um, how you'd integrate current events um, into, into, into uh, business hmm. studies and studies of religion more specifically, um, we can obviously look at a bit more of a, a general has view as well. Um, even though you're not really teaching um, history at the moment, we can always still throw that in there. But can you tell us a little bit about what positive psychology yeah, so positive is psychology and, and how it is works? Using evidence-based psychology to promote well-being, uh, and it's been hugely uh, successful in schools. It was started by Martin Seligman, and he went to Geelong Grammar, uh, I think, eleven years ago now. I feel like it was eleven years ago, and he really started the positive education movement. And St. Katz has been a positive psychology school for uh, a long time, I think like eight or nine years now. And um, and I started in my role there in 2017. So I look at what we do in our academic care program or what often schools would refer to as like homeroom or pastoral care to promote student wellbeing, uh, looking at what's known as the, um, the PERMA model. So that stands for positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment or achievement. And so I look at what different year groups might need uh, in relation to their well-being and uh, create programs and um, create programs around that for them. Okay. And how, how are you finding the students and staff are responding are responding to this model? I think I think it's um it's a really effective model when it's done uh I guess I would say when it's done um logically like I think often when schools learn about positive psychology they grab you know oh we really like grit and we really like growth mindset but what you've got to do is have a program that works with where students are at and what they need so for example in year eight that's when we really work on the growth mindset and neurological basis for positive psychology before they're in year nine and they're kind of I don't know maybe slightly more likely to roll their eyes at um, this kind of stuff. And then in year nine, we really focus on positive relationships and 
Um, and then in year 10, we're looking at their goals and leadership as they move into it. Uh, so it's, it, it works really well when you've got a, a good process for it, a good um, strategy for it. And I think with teaching, positive psychology and the tenets of it are practised by good teachers naturally. And I think that uh, the, the best thing with positive psychology is learning about it for your own life and often, for my case, learning about it as a parent and then I practice it as a teacher rather than being taught this is how you teach positive psychology. You've got to actually live it first. Yeah, and look, I think that's that's the not just for positive psychology, but I think that's the key for for a lot of the things that we, um, particularly we, we are, um, I wouldn't say mandated, but are um, pushed to to bring into schools um, mm. by various you know bodies or authorities or governments, and they say you've got to do X, Y, Z. But it's it, it's one thing to sort of bring in this blanket program that you don't really you know you're not really invested in, um, as opposed to one that you actually do um, get involved in a lot more heavily and actually um, believe in. Absolutely, and I think having teacher buy-in is a really important part of any program you bring into a school, um, especially of positive psychology. And St Catherine's actually uh, the year, uh, mm, I can't, I, I get confused with years now. Uh, at the beginning of 2016, they actually had the University of Pennsylvania positive psychology program taught at the school over five days for our teachers, but also teachers from all over Australia. And it was hugely successful in having that, um, I guess, explicit teaching of how it benefits us in our lives has really changed how it's done. And I remember that program because it was five days and I had to leave one of the days halfway through because I was so sick with morning sickness. Um, so it was, um, so, and then, and then a year later I started and I, I trained up for the role. Great. Oh, look, um, let, let's move on to the, um, uh, the, uh, I guess the essence of what we want this episode to be. And I'm really excited to talk about this because um, I love talking to, I mean, look, I love talking to all educators, um, early childhood, primary, tertiary. I love talking to people from math, people from science. But when I get mm. to talk business studies and studies of religion with a fellow uh, high school teacher, it is just going to be a great, great time. Um, yeah. So firstly, why, why business studies? I mean, obviously you had, you had, um, you, you've got a commerce um background there but why why studies of religion why the masters of theology in the first place yeah so I um I I did my grad dip of teaching at Notre Dame and I just really found the theology subject that we had to do there really interesting and I've always um been at well I I started at King Koppel in year five King Koppel in Rose Bay and I've always had um, been really interested in religion I think it brings um a lot of great benefits to society and I um and I just I want to have a a critical understanding of religions and when the option came to teach it I was really excited and I think that today in Australia and not to go straight to the exam but you think of that five marker in the post nineteen forty five topic it is just such a relevant topic and you realize the students we're teaching you know they're a lot of them have not learnt anything about Islam before studying studies of religion when they're 16 or 17. And it's just such a, because we do Christianity and Islam for one unit and it's just such an important um, thing for them to learn about. Oh, I agree. And look, I, I teach um, one unit. I've never actually had the opportunity to teach uh, studies of religion to unit before, which is a shame because I really do want mm. to. But 
Um, I, in my career, I've only ever taught one unit and I've only ever taught uh, Islam and Christianity as well. And yeah, it, 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 you're right. It is so relevant in today's day and age when the kids, they don't get out of that little bubble to be able to actually see what's going on in the world and, and studies of religion. I actually had an episode um, of this podcast a while ago uh, with Belinda DiMauro, who's, who was talking about um, studies of religion as more of an academic subject as opposed to just a religious subject where you can critically analyze everything rather than just sort of go along. It, it is an academic subject and I think that's how it has to be taught. And and since um, general studies, I think, still doesn't exist, right? Since general studies doesn't exist and our school certainly hasn't doesn't do it, it's like it's a... Um, it's it actually in some ways gives students that access to news and current affairs uh, and 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 world news in a way that I think is is really beneficial for teenagers growing up. Yeah, definitely. Now, look, in terms of you mentioned the five marker in there in terms of um, the post forty five, and it will sometimes alternate between uh, you know using um, for people un- unfamiliar with studies of religion as a subject. Uh, there's your ten multiple choice questions in one unit. You'll have a five marker. Um, based on the core unit that everyone in New South Wales does uh, if they study mm. the course. Um, and that five marker will be either about Indigenous spiritualities mm-hmm. or it'll be about um, the changing landscape of religion. So uh, using stats from later census data on um, how many people are adherents to religion at the moment, New mm-hmm. Age religion, the idea of secularisation, etc. Um, so that one there, generally you do need to bring in some relevant um, up-to-date information and, and not just statistics from the census in 2016, for example, but you'd have to bring in, um, you know, a newspaper article you saw recently about um, about something. And, uh, I'm not sure about you, but I'm a member of a lot of different um, teaching groups on mm. Facebook, like the History Teachers Group and the Studies of Religion Teachers Group. And the teachers in there are amazing in terms of um, sharing recent articles um, about what's happening. And I'm very quick to you know, bookmark those articles and then send them on to my students to try and get them, you know, a bit more exposed to to what's happening at the moment. So how do you go about integrating those current issues um, into your study religion course? So firstly, I think you've you've got to teach them the content. So they, they need to know and and the ABS statistics are obviously part of that. But then I think it's the it's the current affairs and the application um, of what they've learned in current affairs that makes them remember it. And I also, you know, I haven't marked SOR before yet, but like the the experience of marking the same question for thousands and thousands of times, seeing different examples in there for the markers is probably, a, um, you know, a, a relief for them. So I, I actually last year when I had my year 12s, I sent them a Google Doc of all this stuff that had been happening in that period because SOR was one of the last exams from when I had seen them at the end of term three to when I had their exam of things that had been happening that were related to it. You know, you had religious freedoms, you had um, a lot of stuff happening in Aboriginal communities to do with stolen generations and um, and land rights happening last year. And just for them to see that it is such a living subject. And, um, and I think also podcasts have been really helpful and I think podcasts can be hit or miss. Like some students love them and other students don't really connect with them. Uh, but giving them like just giving them options to listen to them and I often just listen to them myself and come up with questions as I listen so if they want to do it as review questions they can. Is there any, is there any podcasts for studies of religion that you can recommend off the top of your head at all for the, for the students Not to engage with? Not off the top of my head um, but 
Uh, yeah, well, God Forbid, is I think, is on RN, which is very good, and they're quite short and snappy as well. Um, and there's been a few that I found. We did Martin Luther as our um, personality last year, and so obviously there was a lot of stuff to do with the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, so there was a lot of good stuff on Martin Luther Um and so I can't think of any specific good ones, but I know God forbid is one I listen to myself anyway. Oh, look, I'll have to look into that one. They're fantastic. Um, and look, I, I just, uh, look, I'm, you mentioned uh, you've not marked the HSC exam before. I don't know how many years I've put in the I've put in the application form to mark, and every year I keep getting knocked back saying I've not got enough experience. But then you sort of it sort of echoes. Sorry, this is totally off topic, but it totally echoes. Um, you know, I'm sitting in class with my kids in year eleven mm. or year twelve or year ten. And they're saying, sir, I can't get a job because I don't have any experience. How do I get experience if I can't get a job? And I think the same thing. You know, part of me was um, thinking I would happily um, mark uh, questions in in any HSC subject I'm teaching as Nessa PD, like just obviously all anonymous and and, and it's just like as a, effectively as a a practice. I think that would be a great thing to do, but obviously you've got the um, issues with student privacy. But I just think the, the experience of being able to mark papers and, and in the way when teachers come back from marking and they tell you about how quick it is and you're not you know you're not giving feedback you're just putting a number down like that that seems like such an important skill um I would happily do that yeah exactly exactly um so studies religion you mentioned okay so teach them the content um you do Martin Luther we, we do Paul of Tarsus at my school um so when when you do get into uh past that five marker about having to integrate mm current issues uh, in terms of Australia's uh, religious landscape post-1945 and you move into um, the short answer questions or even into the external response where there's, a, again, if people are unfamiliar with the um, with the structure of this this course and this exam, there's essentially three syllabus dot points mm. per depth study, really. Um, you look at a person, you look at a practice, and you look at an ethical issue. And it's a, it, the student's try and predict what's going to be in the HSC every year because in reality there's only so many different ways you can ask a, mm. a, a mix of three different dot points really. Um, so with with the short answers and the external responses, you will, particularly for ones like you mentioned Martin Luther, um, Paul Tarsus, it's a bit hard to bring in any sort of current sort of topical mm. issues. However, the one about ethics, so either sexual ethics, environmental ethics or bioethics, um, I find that one there is always, you know, a rich, uh, rich opportunity yeah. to bring in current current issues. Have you, do you which, which ethical uh, issues do you look at for um for Christianity for Islam? So we do Christianity, we do bioethics, um, and for Islam we do sexual ethics. And we actually last year we left Islam. So we did Christianity starting term four, and then we did uh, post nineteen forty five, and then we went to Islam afterwards. Um, and I think part of the reason for that was so that at the end of the trials, you knew the girls would be really interested in what we're discussing. Um, because as you know, motivation after the trials can be, um, a bit of yep, an uphill battle. Yep. So the girls find it fascinating. I think, um, I looked a lot for, uh, bioethics, so much stuff in the news and looking at eternity news and, um, cath news and obviously things like IVF and, um, and euthanasia have been really topical issues recently, like the euthanasia debate in Victoria last year. So you, I guess the way um, I try to do is really make sure the girls understood what the ethical teachings were and then the issues, and then you could really 
broaden it out with the with the current affairs as much as possible um because they it just adds such a great depth to um the dynamic living tradition of SOR exactly and and i think that's what a lot of students get confused about in terms of looking at what is a dynamic and what what does dynamic and living mean but you know weren't religions created thousands of years ago isn't that where they belong as opposed mm. to it's a um you know it's it's something that is constantly evolving because of um because of what happens every day and i mean we, we do sexual ethics for islam and and bioethics for christianity as well so this is getting sort of like twilight zone spooky here <laughs> <We're> very <laughs> um you know and one of my students, I normally, we do the big, um, you know, we do the big two, obviously, you know, uh, euthanasia and abortion, for example, um, if, in terms of bioethics. Um, and then I let the students sort of pick their their own third bioethical issue. Um, and, yeah, and one of my students the other day brought up um, brought up uh, womb transplants, for example, yeah. which I had no idea uh, were a thing. And, and they saw on the news uh, once, you know, they, they, they followed... Um, uh, they followed some sort of um, uh, not a religious-based newspaper, but um, sort of more of a scientific one, um, and, and and it brought up things like womb transplants, and it had nothing to do with religion in it. But they were able to then mold that and put that into an idea about well, what would different Christian denominations mm. say about this? And I think I think that's the thing when you start integrating current affairs and news in your teaching. So I'm trying to do it as much as possible with Year Ten Commerce. You want to get to the point with year 11 and 12, it's a natural, well, not natural, it's a learned skill for them to see something in the news and think, oh, that has to do with what I'm learning right now and this is how and this is why it's interesting. And that, and, and, and in a sense with um, integrating current affairs as much as I, I can, you what you hope is that they have that skill and that curiosity and that ability to link you're right, right, and that's the thing they need to have. They need to be able to see that real world relevance. They need to be able to see the real world relevance in the subject that you're teaching them before they can then go off and say, "I think this will be relevant back towards my subject." So it's kind of like a two way. It's kind of like a two way street here. They need to be able to see how does this subject help me in the real world, but then, all oh, right, I can see the real world reflected in this subject as well now. Hmm. And I think in the humanities we're we're quite spoilt because you can see that so easily. But I think, um, but I also think this can this can work in a lot of subjects. Yeah, and look, one other subject um, that this could work really well in is business studies. <laughs> Indeed. Perfect segue. Also amazing. Well done. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> it's funny actually. Today I was with my year eleven girls, and I was doing the seven P's of the marketing mix and talking about you know service industries, and I. Uh, this morning, actually, my uh, the my favorite instructor from a gym I go to has moved to another gym, and and we were doing like a seven p kind of what's better and and the new gym is a bit harder to get to. I've got to find a park versus it being near my house, but the teacher's better and and the talking about the process of it and blah. And the girls were so involved in it, and so um, they had lived this experience before, whether or not it's you know. Um, cafes or corner shops or whatever it is they've they've all lived the experience of deciding to go to one place instead of the other and even though it's not a news story um you I could really see how they learned from it yeah exactly I mean everyone's had experiences with 
with with shopping or with, with work if they mm. work casually, for example, if they've got a casual job at school. So everything, you know, I, I tell my students, everything you see when you're at work or at the shops, I know it sounds kind of lame, but I say get your phone out or get a little notepad yeah. and just write it down because you'd be surprised how much you can then link it into a response mm. come exam time. And 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 those applications of um, you know, when you when you need examples and case, uh, not case studies because they're obviously a bit bigger, but when you need um, examples, it's it. I think they think they have to overthink them, but they can be lived experiences, and and that's really good. That's that's what. But it's about getting them into the mind frame of feeling like they don't need to, um, I guess, search too widely just to think of how business studies applies to their life and see it in the real world and then when you move on to year 12 and doing the big case studies, again, it's a skill that they have. Yeah, exactly. And look, so can, can you give me an example of um, um, of a lesson or, or a concept where other than other than the gym there, um, where you've where you've been able to bring in that that you know that that current issue or a current affair or something that happened um, yeah. So where we are at the where we where our school is in uh, in Waverley, we have had all of the bikes. You know, we've had O bike and Ready bike and now Lime bike, and we we looked at all of these you know bike rental businesses and why some failed and why others haven't. And we started this last year talking about Lime bikes and how they work and how one of the differentiating factors of it is they're just so bloody heavy you can't throw them on top of a bus shelter. Um, and and so finding articles about line bikes and how line bikes has been able to work overseas and how it's a totally different business in Queensland because they're allowed to use the scooters and in Melbourne, uh, in South Australia, I think they're allowed to use the scooters as well in Melbourne, but in New South Wales they're not. So that was really interesting talking about politics and the legal external influences Um and the girls were really able to connect with that and they've now got, you know, a little case study of line bikes for most of the first topic. It, that, that's a great example. Um, the, the, look, that, that shared bike thing is always, is always um, I've always found that really interesting in terms of, um, in terms of the ownership of those and, and who, you know, mm. the, the personal responsibility people have to take to make sure that they don't sort of ruin it for the next person. It, I've always just found that um, that sort of concept really, really, really odd as a mm. as a business venture. Um, I mean, the, the business is is taking on a lot of risk um, in the hope that people aren't going to be horrible. Yeah, and, and I think them. like Lime Bike uh, has been able to navigate that with the way you can't lock it in certain areas. So where we are, you can't lock it in Centennial Park because it doesn't it it needs to be locked in places where they can be easily picked up. And they need to have 50 bikes rented a day, which is like I was, you know, this is from a few months ago. So the way they've set it up, but the, all of those bikes need their batteries replaced every night. So the workforce is mainly people replacing batteries and checking where the bikes are and if they work and um, helmets are obviously an issue. So then I got the girls to go and do research into interesting helmets because obviously not everyone wants to wear the line bike one. And one student found this cool one that opens a bit like a concertina. Um, so it kind of folds up and looks a bit like a kind of like a calzone when it's folded up and you can keep it in the bag. And so it's it, it's quite a um it's quite a fun exam an example to go through. But be, like we were saying, it's something they've seen. And even the girls who hadn't seen line bikes or noticed them before we started talking about that, the next day, they're like, oh my god, these bikes—they're everywhere. And I was like, yes, that's what I was trying to tell you. Yeah, and look, how do you get 
how do you get the students? Mm. Uh, how do you give them access to uh, different materials? For example, do you, do you use a, like a do you have a, a learning um, management system? Do you just get a website going? Do you just sort of email them articles you find? Do you have like what sort of portfolio do you put together? So we I use Google Classroom. I use Google Classroom, and I often copy the. Um, text from an article or I print the article to a PDF and then put it into the Google Drive for them to access. Uh, Often we just read the article on the, you know, projected on the screen and I get them to write one or two sentences that they would take from that article because I think also with a lot of this current affairs stuff is you don't want them to have, you know, 30 pages of news articles that they're meant to know. You want them to have some takeaways from each one. So if for each topic they've got a couple of examples they can use, they've got them integrated in their notes, not as a whole separate, you know, behemoth of notes to look at. But that being said, I am really bad at organising them myself. So, like, I bookmark things on Twitter. I sometimes retweet things if they're related to SOR. Uh, Sometimes I put them in Google Keep. Sometimes I put them in Evernote. Uh, So I am by no means the most organised person when it comes to this. But... I do have a pretty freaky memory. So I'm like, I remember there was an article in this newspaper and it had to do with this. And then I can generally find it pretty easily. See, I, 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 I have that sort of memory of things happening, but then I just sort of go off in tangents in class and I say, hey, guys, I remember this thing happened a while ago. Um, and by a while ago, it ended up being something that was maybe five years ago because I still forget that we're in 2019 and I keep thinking yeah. that last year was just the year 2000, for example. Yes. Um, and then I realised that, oh, wow, I am getting a bit old now. Um, so... Uh, I, I found this website called Wakelet a while ago, and I'd find that I'd, every time I find a great article, I just sort of upload that um, that article to that Wakelet, and I just gave the link to my students, and I said, "Look, every now and then, when I find something related to operations and marketing or whatever it might be, I'll just chuck it straight up there." But you're right, you know, you don't want to have you know a million articles where they they sort of either have to you know mem- want to memorize the whole thing, or there's so much they can't understand it all anyway. So that you don't even find that little balance in between there in terms of how much they should know and what's actually Yeah, and what you want them to take away with it. And I have started using Wakelet um, and I'm just, I'm really good at saving things to it. I'm not very good at going through it afterwards and organising it all. But I should just, you know, as we all have jobs we have to do every week, kind of just make time and do it while I watch TV or something. Um, And look, uh, with, with, um, with business studies, obviously, uh, the bulk of uh, the bulk of, of of the current issues would would come into the very last question mm. as well, which is a, a twenty mark essay. Um, so even then, a lot of, a lot of the content they do need to know in terms of in terms of current affairs and case study material. In reality, the whole case study isn't meant to be used either. I mean, in the, the in the essay, the essay shouldn't be all about the case study. The essay should be about the content. And then the case study helps to defend your argument about the content, really. Yeah, so um, so that's an interesting one because I think you see so many schools that just um, do Qantas over and over again. And I have heard about schools doing multiple case studies in the same essay. Um, to be honest, though, due to, um, due to uh, teaching me a second career and two kids, I haven't done Year 12 business studies since I was in, you know, in 2012 so I have um and that was kind of more uh with with another teacher so I haven't taught the 20 marker for the HSC yet so I'm going to be getting my head around that and probably ringing you up a few times as well 
Oh, look, I'm more than happy to more than happy to give you, you know, my resources at your disposal if you need them. Uh, I'm happy to help out any teacher with anything they need. Um, so, so, so you guys, use, you, I'm assuming you, you'd, you'd have Qantas. As, I mean, I think every school or pretty much does. Yeah, Qantas, and I think really. um, some school. I think previous years we've looked at other ones. I can't remember which ones we've done uh, last year, but I think they did Qantas as well. Um, but it's a, um, it's one of those things. You you have ideas of of create of getting the students to create their own case studies, but I think you've got to be careful that it's something that all students can access. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and look, there's there's um, a, a plethora of, of other case studies that are now coming out, written by written by mm. teachers. You know, Apple's quite good. The Apple iPhone one case study. Um, there's one on Zara. There's one on McDonald's. I think there's an IKEA one coming out as well. Um, there's plenty. And look, it's it can be a hypothetical business as well. So the students really could use their knowledge of current current events or what's happening in their in their workplace and sort of piece together some sort of Frankenstein-style a Frankenstein style case study to help their response as well because, you know, it could be a hypothetical business as well. It doesn't have to be a real one. Yeah, it's. I find that concept really interesting and I'd love to see uh, where how it's done well. Um, but, it's, um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an interest. I, I was at a PD earlier this year and they were talking about that and I thought that's a, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, because I, I, to be honest, I've, I've never seen it actually happen mm. yet where someone's either made up a case study and if they have, they've actually done it well. So um, I'd, I'd love to see, I um, mean, you know, if anyone's listening out there and, they're, you know, and they've seen that happen where they've got a sample of anonymous, of course, to protect privacy, but if they've got a sample where someone's made up a case study for the 20 marker at the end of the business studies exam and they've done it really well, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I must say I've got, uh, there are two other teachers for business studies and they've both taught for, um, numerous years and, and one of them's done a lot of marking and I feel like I just already owe her so much chocolate and coffee and wine to say thank you for all the help she's going to give me over the next, you know, 18 months. <laughs> but um, but that's, you know, that's teaching and I think the best thing about teaching is the support we can give other, our colleagues, especially um, colleagues that are starting out and, and the experience we'll have from it. Well, Daisy, it's been great to have you on this episode. Before we wrap up, is there any final thoughts you want to leave with the listeners? I just think I think you probably we all read the news and you probably just um, think you may you may not realize I can use this in class and I would say use it even if it's tangentially connected because it's it's such a great skill to give students. Well, Daisy, thank you very very much for appearing on the episode and I'd love to have you back um, in the future. Oh, thank you, thank you for having me, and I love your Twitter presence. You're 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 a great source of info and wit. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HouseChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au